The Forum and Workplace Inclusion podcast is sponsored by U.S. Bank. Embracing what makes us unique creates more possibilities for all. Learn more at usbank.com diversity. U.S. Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. You're listening to the Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast. Here are a few messages from the forum before we start the show. Some of our audience has been asking us, what is the forum exactly? Well, for over 31 years, the Forum on Workplace Inclusion, or the Forum for short, has served as a convening hub for those seeking to grow professional leadership and effectiveness skills in the field of diversity, equity, and inclusion, or what we call DEI, by engaging people, advancing ideas, and igniting change. And while meeting in person is limited right now, the Forum has tripled its digital offerings thanks to our generous community of DEI practitioners and professionals. Visit our website, forumworkplaceinclusion.org slash webinar for a list of upcoming webinars and other special presentations. We'll also be releasing video from our 2020 conference, Facing Forward, very soon. With our standard webinar series, special presentations, podcasts, and newly published content from our conference, as well as great archive material, we can continue to engage people, advance ideas, and ignite change together. With that, I'd like to say thank you to all our listeners and subscribers. You help support the growth of the podcast and reach new listeners. If you like what you're hearing on the Forum Podcast, please consider writing a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you've already written a review, thank you. Please consider sharing our podcast with a friend, family member, or a colleague you think might find value in the content. Word of mouth is the best way the forum grows, so thank you very much for listening and sharing. Thanks again, and enjoy the show. Hello, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast, Master These Skills, Master Inclusive Leadership. I'm Ben Rue, Program Coordinator here at the Forum on Workplace Inclusion. In this episode, Patricia Jesperson, Chief Curiosity Officer of Employee EXP, and Dr. Amy Tolbert, ECCO International Principal, explore the five critical leadership skills they have identified to help leaders transform into naturally inclusive leaders. Listeners will be able to describe the five critical skills in the inclusion matrix, describe the value inclusive leadership brings to both their personal and organizational growth, and assist organizations in creating inclusive, talent-attracting, and innovative cultures to ensure sustainable growth. Ms. Jesperson is Chief Curiosity Officer at Employee EXP and joins Dr. Tolbert as co-author in Reversing the Ostrich Approach to Diversity, Pulling Your Head Out of the Sand, and is the creator of The Inclusion Matrix, the subject of today's podcast. As the curious type, she has spent the majority of her career exploring how to maximize the talent experience, primarily through diversity and inclusion and total reward lenses. She works with organizations to consider how the changing trends in the employee experience will impact their organizational sustainability and growth. For fun, she enjoys the opportunity to get in the classroom as an adjunct professor in Augsburg University's MBA program and to serve on numerous boards and committees. Her latest is the HR Executive Forum. As a fellow at Carlson Executive Education, Dr. Tolbert is the founder and principal of a global firm, ECCO International. When she is not trying to keep up with the schedules of her two young adult daughters, she consults and trains in the areas of multicultural skill development, managing within a diverse workforce, communicating across styles and leadership skills. She is well authored with four books, including Reversing the Ostrich Approach to Diversity, Pulling Your Head Out of the Sand, many articles, assessment tools, and active blogs. Although she has many accomplishments, she considers her adventures with her two daughters to be on the top of her list. 
Thank you, Ben, for that great introduction, and also thank you for the opportunity to address your audience today. I'm also joined here today by Amy Tolbert with ECHO International, who will be introducing herself shortly with some of the information related to the inclusion matrix, which is what we're going to be talking about. And the inclusion matrix specifically is a model for leadership. And the, the idea for the inclusion matrix really grew out of my observation that much like we see silos in business organizations, and in this case, I'm thinking of human resources, we often see like a one skill approach uh, taken to leadership. And I think of that a lot today as you know, emotional intelligence. Obviously incredibly important to the idea of leadership, but it's often touted as the one item for leadership. And the inclusion matrix and the idea behind it is really to elevate the conversation beyond diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I'm going to shorten that for the purposes of this conversation today to DEI. Which brings me to another thing, and we see this quite a bit as a trend within this conversation, is that is it, you know, sh how should I refer to my program? Is it inclusion first and then equity and then diversity? Is it equity, inclusion, and diversity? And Amy and I both believe it's not about what you name something, it's really about what you're doing. What does it actually look like within your organization and how do people feel about it? So as we look at this model, because we believe diversity, equity, and inclusion is incredibly important and we've been engaged in it for a long time, is what we're doing is really bringing together, packaging, if you will, five familiar and respected skills that we believe that once mastered will help develop an inclusive leadership approach throughout the organization, really at all levels of leadership. The why this is so important is that organizations, they can engage in all matters of DEI education, and a, big, a popular one today, especially with CEO action, is the idea of unconscious bias training. However, without managers and leaders supporting a shift to inclusive cultures, no really one-off educational program is going to be sustainable. So we have to look at developing that entire leadership group within an organization in order to sustain these changes. So with that, what we're going to do is I'm going to take a look and we're going to start by introducing the inclusion matrix model. What it includes is IQ, which most folks are familiar with, which is obviously intellect, EQ, also known as emotional intelligence, CQ, or cultural intelligence, intellectual humility, and vulnerability. It's those five key skills. While much is said about EQ, it, and it is essential, we propose that one's ability to demonstrate inclusive behavior is further enhanced with intellectual humility and vulnerability. Here is where we often see, and we will address it in EQ, but we often see in these two elements and critical element of empathy, which is so significant in today's workplace. The approach we're going to take to introducing the inclusion, inclusion matrix is this, is Amy and I will take somewhat of a drill down approach. We're going to intro each of the skill pieces sharing first what they look like, their attributes, and then we're going to describe some exercises that can be used either virtually or in the classroom to enhance the learning experience. As well as um, looking at the exercises, central to the learning piece are what we refer to as I'm in statements or I'm inclusive statements. 
And these are where participants work to develop and define these statements for themselves as part of the inclusion matrix learning process. You will see them at work in just a moment. So I'm going to kick things off with one of the more complex and more widely known of the skill elements, which is IQ. IQ, or intelligence as we know it, has the I'm in statement that says I have the capacity to learn. And IQ and its elements are all about learning and developing. Much of the current perspectives of IQ is really due to the work of Raymond Cattell and his associate John Horn. The two of them working together really identify two distinct types of IQ or general intelligence. And I, those are synonymous or terms that can be used interchangeably. Fluid intelligence is one ability, one's ability to reason. This is the person who's street smart. They use their fluid intelligence effectively and it's the working memory that is stored in the prefrontal cortex. Interestingly, this actually starts to decrease at age 20 and that rate of decrease continues to increase into our 40s, which can be a little disheartening for folks like me that may be beyond the age of 40. Whereas the crystallized intelligence is one's capacity to acquire knowledge. This is using knowledge and information previously learned over the years and it's acquired, acquired through education and experience. So when we look at crystal intelligence, this gets cemented in the hippocampus, also the neocortex and the amygdala. And these are the parts of the brain that store and use our long-term memories. Many times, and you'll hear this, especially among DEI practitioners are familiar with the amygdala or the primitive brain. You may have heard the term amygdala hijack. This is also where we see unconscious, unconscious bias originating. This part of the brain helps us really decide it's that fight or flight piece. And it's where we manage millions of bytes of information that we are exposed to every day. Because crystallized intelligence involves the knowledge and skills one has acquired throughout life, we also see that unconscious bias education can have an impact in helping ones identify one's biases. So regardless of declining fluid intelligence, one can continue to build on or seek information to build their crystallized intelligence. I would use one of my favorite words, and it's in the title that I have for myself with Employee EXP, which is Chief Curiosity Officer, is curiosity is one of the best terms to explain the path forward in building crystallized intelligence. As we see, and I think this is really fascinating, as we look at what's happening within organizations today, especially as it relates to generations, is we're seeing that for older workers, they're, they're observing that what they make up, they make up in the decline of their fluid intelligence with crystallized intelligence. I might think of this in the terms of wisdom. So wisdom really comes with that experience. And to quote one of my favorite women, Eleanor Roosevelt, never mistake knowledge for wisdom. One helps make a living, the other helps to make a life. Wonderful, wonderful quote. So if we look at the attributes of IQ and the fluid intelligence, it's your ability to analyze, reason. It's your thinking out of the box. It's finding solutions to new problems. Let's go ahead and I'll, I'll take a look at that and what that example means for me is I actually tend to be a pretty good one with fixer-upper projects would be a, a good example. 
And so the process of replacing and fixing deck boards is fun. It, it, it's intuitive to me. Um, my friends joke, one of my favorite new toys is a sawzall. So I can, I can pretty much use and fix up all different types of projects. It's just intuitive. For my stepfather, the idea of a tool was more like a decorative item. They generally hung on the wall. And when they, um, if something actually needed to be done or fixed, that would be hired to be done. It was not an intuitive process for him. In contrast, the crystal intellect is at work when you need to answer questions in a quiz or you need to learn to speak different languages, that type of thing. Again, using a personal example, I'm a lifetime learner and I believe in lifetime learning. And so recently, I believe you're never too old to learn. I recently achieved my MBA. I would say in that situation, I had the quote unquote opportunity to enhance my math and critical thinking skills in order to meet the requirements for graduation. So how do we help participants learn and develop the IQ elements that are going to go into becoming a more inclusive leader? In this particular exercise example, I'm going to use a, a famous quote, paraphrase a famous quote from Alice in Wonderland, where Alice is talking to the cat in the tree and she's explaining or asking the cat, can you help me determine where I need to go? She does not provide any idea of where she wants to go. And the cat says, well, certainly you will be able to get there. And obviously the gist is, if you don't know where you want to go, you can certainly achieve that. In this exercise, really what we're doing is combining curiosity with mindfulness to address the need to continue to grow your IQ. And what we look at doing this through is the process of setting intentions. And this is the idea of setting the intention is to really pivot from an autopilot place to move to an active level of consciousness. And that is being able to think ahead of a situation on the things that we can control. What we're not looking to do is to try and identify those things or act on those things that we cannot control. So what we will ask our participants to do is to identify, say, two intentions something that's coming up. And what you want to look at is controlling the energy and focusing on how can I impact the situation that's coming up. Let's take as an example, a challenging meeting with a colleague. So the participants will say, okay, here's five different questions and to think about setting the intentions for meeting with that colleague, knowing it's going to be a challenging conversation. And so what I'll give you two examples of what this looks like in real time. So if one of the questions is, I want to learn about blank because of blank. If I'm going to fill that in related to this individual I'm going to be having a conversation with is, I want to learn about Passover coming up from my colleague and I might, and might give us something to kick off the conversation with. The next question might be, I believe that expanding my thinking around blank will give me blank. Again, filling that in. I believe that expanding my thinking around my colleagues more introverted style will give me a better understanding of how to elicit more input to our team processes. So again, you can't control or one cannot control the outcome of the colleague you're meeting with, but you can be very intentional and conscious about entering into that conversation. So with that, once you've set that attention, you want to let it go. 
you've done it, you've focused on it, and then you go ahead and say goodbye to it. And so again, focusing only on what we can control and preparing for that. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to turn it over to my colleague, Amy, and she is going to explore with us EQ and CQ. So with that, I'll hand it right over. So let's look at that next skill of emotional quotient. My personal mantra lately is don't get mad, get curious. So our I'm inclusive statement or I'm in statement for the emotional quotient is I'm curious. The terms EI and EQ, emotional intelligence and the emotional quotient are often used interchangeably, although they're not quite the same. EI is your set of emotional abilities and EQ is the measurement of those abilities. And there are scientific validated tests that can give you an EQ score, just like you would get an IQ score after taking a test. Building emotional intelligence will help you have a positive impact in your business and personal relationships. Your emotional quotient is not fixed early in life. It continues to grow decade after decade. It can also be a predictor of success as the more emotionally intelligent you are, the better decisions you make. So let's take a look at what some of those skills are as a part of EQ. I like to think of the bike analogy where the back wheel is your IQ, like Trish just explained, and your IQ or your technical and knowledge skills is your back wheel that provides the power to drive you forward. Your EQ then could be represented in the front wheel, representing emotions and social skills. And like the front wheel of a bike, your EQ helps to set the direction in which you will travel. So when we're highly conscious of our own emotional state, even those negativity elements like frustration, sadness, or something even more subtle, we can identify and manage those emotions. Now there is some disagreement among psychologists and researchers. Generally, EQ includes four skills um, we are going to take a look at four in terms of building blocks. So blocks that literally build on each other. Self-awareness is the first building block. The self-aware person knows their likes, their fears, and their triggers. With self-awareness, it's then possible to manage and align your emotions with the desired outcome. And when you have that emotional ability, you're then able to engage in emotional mentoring. And here's where as leaders, you focus on others, observing their emotions, noticing their actions and reactions. You're able to ask pertinent questions, listen deeply and learn what other people are feeling. You become aware of the other person's feelings, needs and concerns, but you're not quite done yet. The driving force behind emotional intelligence and life in general is to build strong, healthy, effective relationships. So the self-motivation or fourth building block helps ensure that you stay on track and can recover from any setbacks. So why go to all this trouble? Well, according to Goldman, there are personal benefits like decreased stress and worry with increased joy. And then there are workplace benefits. As we said, you know, EQ is often the biggest predictor of high performance and you are much more able to manage conflict and everyday stress. So what can we do now to increase our EQ? Well, we have an exercise called Take Five. 
And this activity consists of five vision-inspiring behaviors that you as a leader can engage in. So rate yourself on a scale of engagement for each of these five behaviors from either very seldom or very often in terms of how frequently you demonstrate the skill. So the first vision-inspiring behavior would be treating people well, like showing people you care, saying thank you, actively making people feel valued. We think this relates to empathy and Brene Brown has a great empathy quote that applies here directly to EQ. She says, the power of empathy, I'm in it with you, I'm not here to fix you, I'm not here to feel it for you. I'm here to feel with you and let you know you're not alone. And we all need that. And that leads to our second, which is meeting others where they are. So instead of providing solutions, meet people where they are. Just let them know that you are there and they're not alone. If someone's really low on that mood scale, they may need you to just listen. The third is to stay focused on the moment and not projecting into the future with things that are not in your control. All that does is create worry and stress. The fourth is balancing task, the what, with the people, the how. So you may actually in stressful times overcompensate and tend to drive forward and run people over, or you can under deliver and just kind of get in that freeze mode but the emotional quotient or your EI really can help increase that awareness and, and help you balance more the what and the how. And the last one is to share why we're doing this with other people. Like, be sure they see the big picture. Before you start hitting them with all the jigsaw puzzle pieces, make sure you show them the box top. Because more than ever, people need to feel connected to the why. What's the end game look like? If you find yourself frequently engaging in these behaviors, the five that we just listed, that's a good indication that you are developing your EQ as a leader and you're serving as a positive role model. Let's move on to the next skill, CQ, or your cultural quotient. This is your ability to relate and work effectively in culturally diverse situations. The I'm in statement for CQ is, I will work to understand others. And this goes beyond existing notions of cultural sensitivity and awareness. It's important to identify the behavioral patterns and national country norm trends so you can successfully and respectfully accomplish your mutual objectives, whatever the cultural context. With the global economy and the clear interconnectedness that affects all of us, the potential for ineffective interactions due to cultural misunderstandings is real. It's prevalent and it has an immediate impact on your business. So to build our cultural quotient, we need to identify and understand global needs and cultural perspectives that affect business, as well as ways to communicate effectively in a global marketplace. The culture that we're raised in helps determine our values, which in turn determine our behaviors and typically habits are formed from our behaviors. So it's natural for each of us to do things the way we've always done. But a person with the high CQ explores their own cultural impacts. They map themselves on various continua and compare the different views with that that their global peers and partners might have. 
to identify what the differences are so they can better adapt their behaviors. So what are some of the skills that are part of this, the attributes of CQ? There are dozens of cross-cultural continua in the intercultural research literature, but business tends to be impacted more by about five of them. But for this purpose, we're only gonna look at two, how we manage time and our tendencies toward achievement and motivation. These are researched national country norms, but let's keep in mind that there are individual differences and it's all relative. You all probably still fall within the range of the culture in which you were raised. So with how we manage time, there are two ends of that continuum, task and relationship. For example, if you grew up in Asia, um, an Asian culture, Hispanic-based culture, you're probably more likely, again, a tendency to value time spent on building relationships and trust first, then getting to the task and proceeding with business. But if you grew up in a Western European, Canadian, or the US culture, you're probably more likely to focus more of your time initially on completing tasks and projects, then, spending a little time on building the relationship. If we look at tendencies toward motivation and achievement, we can look at another continuum called individualism versus collectivism. And we see different trends in behavior here. It defines the degree to which a culture reinforces individuality and individual achievement or group cohesiveness and group achievement. So to work effectively with a person who's motivated by group norms and goals, you want to consider the importance of the group and adapt to this in interactions with that person. But a person who might be motivated by individual goals, you're going to consider more the importance of the individual and adapt to that in interactions with the person. It's not good, bad, right or wrong. It's just coming at the situation from what their lens is and again meeting them where they are given their cultural tendencies. Only 30% of the world's population is individualistic, pursuing personal preferences, needs, and rights. And the U.S. is the most individualistic culture in the world. 70% of the world's population is collectivist which puts a much stronger adherence to group norms, fulfilling group activities, being responsible for the group, and achieving the group goals as their personal individual priority. We can also think of CQ or cultural quotient in context of companies that have distinct cultures. I'm sure you've joined a new company and maybe spent the first few weeks a little confused, like you were deciphering its cultural code. And even within that company, we have subcultures. We all know the sales force that can't talk to the engineers or the PR folks who lose patience with the lawyers. There are departments, divisions, professions, geographical regions, all that have a set of tendencies or manners, meaning, history, values. And that's gonna confuse any outsider and cause more confusion and misunderstanding. Unless that person has a high CQ. So a culturally intelligent individual is not only aware, but can also effectively work and relate with people and projects across different cultural contexts. So what do you do about this? Three specific ideas. 
Think about seeking out other people who have a different cultural view than you do and ask questions. Seek to understand, not to adopt, not to defend, not to justify, just simply ask and see it from a different lens. The second idea would be to keep a journal of your own observation. What makes up your worldview? One of my most personal, powerful CQ development moments was where I purposely put on the eye and the lens and the focus of being an ethnographer, somebody who's gonna study another culture from the outside looking in. So I attended a social event of a culture that was really different than mine right here in my local community. I was simply an observer. I noted behaviors like touch, gestures, expressiveness, tone of voice, who talked to who first, who got invited into the circle. And that gave me a lot of insight into the culture. It was really fascinating. And the third thing you could do is to identify your gaps to make that conscious effort to gain new and current knowledge of different cultural practices and worldviews. Let's move on now to our fourth skill of intellectual humility with Trish. Thank you, Amy. We've now looked at the first three skills in the inclusion matrix, which is IQ, EQ, and CQ. And now we're going to bring it home with intellectual humility, which I'll talk about, and Amy will close it out with vulnerability. And I think of the um, intellectual humility is actually one of my favorite uh, elements of it, that and vulnerability. While there's some linkage, there are some definite differences. The idea of intellectual humility, I think, is aptly defined by the I'm in statement, I accept mistakes that I will make. This is where we see uh, DEI is at work, especially as we refer to courageous conversations, which is a pretty common term that we will hear. And those are the uncomfortable, uncomfortable conversations that we can enter into in going into a lot of different situations, especially as Amy just referred to, as we go into some different cultural settings as well. So intellectual humility asks one to entertain the possibility of being wrong, that what you believe may not be accurate, and being open to learning from the experiences of others, being actively curious, and here's that curious word again, about one's blind spots. It really asks an individual to ask themselves the question, what am I missing here? What do I need to know? And again, as we look at these, um, these are all individually strong skill elements, but when you interconnect them, they become a much stronger cohesive piece. So if we look at some of the skill attributes with intellectual humility, humility folks that are able to grasp this skill are actually better learners. They're able to engage in civil discourse because without intellectual humility, one is really unable to learn. And we are seeing that is so significant, especially as we are in an increasingly polarized type of environment. Psychologists and research have both shown that intellectually humble means that as, a, as daunting as it may seem, listening to friends and family with radically different views can be beneficial to our long-term intellectual progress. And again, that ties back to the IQ element of being able to continue to build on that crystal intellect, being willing to listen and to learn. Adults are more actually more likely to learn from people they disagree with. 
And when we are more engaged in listening to the other side, the disagreements will tend to be more constructive. One of my favorite questions, and whether it's in an organizational classroom or if I'm in a university setting where I'm uh, teaching, one of my favorite questions to ask of the class is who is comfortable with conflict? And what I will hear is a very palpable pause. Generally, nobody will say anything. And then slowly, surely, after a few seconds, maybe a hand, maybe two hands will raise. And someone will say, well, I actually think conflict can be good. And then they're willing to lean into it and lean into the conversation. And that is something when we look at it, constructive conflict is really a, um, is laying the groundwork for future learning and understanding between individuals. So as we look at what types of exercises or what we might engage in that, um, we can look at how people respond to things. How are they going to respond to a particular statement? In the, in the classroom setting, we might say, here are three different statements that we want you to re refer to or to respond to. And individuals pick one of them and they pick several different styles in which they want to respond. So what might that style look like? It could look like advising. It could be judgmental or judging someone. Uh, my joke is that I always have to watch my J because I do have it. I tend to have sometimes of a critical eye. And is it comforting? And there is where we see the empathy piece again. Are you comforting and listening to the individual? So there are ways that are very simple to get at and identify what does intellectual humility really look like. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Amy. And then after Amy, I'll do a, a quick conclusion. But I'm going to turn it over to you for the vulnerability piece. Vulnerability. The I'm in statement for, for vulnerability is I am best when I'm open. Ugh, I kind of get a little woozy just hearing the word vulnerability. Because in our culture, it has an implication sometimes, uh, weakness. And it's actually quite the opposite. When we are open, authentic, and willing to learn, we're vulnerable. Brene Brown, again, has a fantastic quote here. Vulnerability is the birthplace of innovation, creativity, and change. So what are the skill attributes associated with vulnerability based on that quote? Again, vulnerability is the birthplace of innovation, creativity, and change. Well, it, it means the courage to be vulnerable is not about winning or losing. It's about the courage to show up when you can't predict or control the outcome. We need that now in our workplace. Vulnerability involves uncertainty, risk, emotional exposure, things that again, given the US tendencies are not things we're particularly comfortable with. Vulnerability doesn't have to do with the amount of disclosure, but the quality of what's being disclosed and the intention, of course, behind it. So a vulnerable leader decides that he or she's going to meet that uncertainty with an open heart, uh, willing to experience the ups and downs that come with it. Vulnerable leaders know they can confront brutal realities head on while maintaining faith that they're ultimately going to prevail. Vulnerability doesn't have 
so much to do with, again, the amount of disclosure, but that intention behind it. So authenticity in our attention, in our intention, in our communication, in our action, it means being open and honest about one's beliefs and values. So authentic behaviors include admitting mistakes, downfalls, showing emotion, not hiding behind a facade. Vulnerable leaders are more open and emotionally available to others. So again, it's really closely linked to EQ because this creates a culture of trust that facilitates team bonding that overall improves team performance. So acknowledging one's current state and taking responsibility for our own emotions, asking for help. Again, you can see how clearly this is related to EQ. You just can't have one without the other. So how can we develop it? Well, the best way to step into vulnerability that we've found is to tell your story. So find a trusted partner. It could be personal or work-related, but, but a trusted person where each of you take five minutes to determine a moment where you felt vulnerable in the workplace. Now share only to the extent that you're comfortable, but still stretch yourself within that discomfort of sharing. Specifically explore three areas. What's the description of the scenario? Like why was it uncomfortable? Who were the players? Was it a, a direct report, a peer, a boss, a partner, a vendor? And three, reflect on the story. So how might that person have approached it differently with the power of hindsight? Or how do you think they would have been um, getting a different outcome if they would have been open to being more vulnerable in the moment? Now, the interesting part of this activity is then to repeat the process with a story about when you personally could have been more vulnerable and changed or impacted the outcome to get a more positive result. With that, let's wrap up these five and bring it home. Thank you again, Amy. So we looked at IQ, EQ, CQ, intellectual humility, and vulnerability, the five key skills that make up the inclusion matrix. As well, we looked at the corresponding I'm in statements that participants will work on developing for themselves so that they can take this learning forward. When we look at the, so, the, the what, when, where, hows of using the inclusion matrix, it really applies across all business types and team structures is what we have found. It can apply to key employees, the managers, and leaders within organizations who see really the idea of having an inclusive culture as critical in this market today that we see increasingly more diverse and the need to attract, retain, and engage top talent. And as we see study after study supporting, when you have this type of inclusive culture and you have managers that have the ability to demonstrate these skills, you're going to realize innovation and increases in productivity. As well, this can be used individually or for organizations who really want to improve some communication um, communication channels and really minimize conflict. Clearly, we've covered a lot of ground here today. And you may have questions of what does the inclusion matrix actually look like? Can you provide some of the samples on the exercises that you provided or just some of the more detail about how it works? We are happy to do so. Um, 
Ben has supplied our contact information, so we are happy to respond to you in, uh, in any way that we can with the request that you may have. Thank you and thank you again to the forum for our opportunity to introduce you to the Inclusion Matrix. Thank you, Trish and Dr. Tobert, for that outstanding podcast. If you would like to learn more about inclusive leadership, please feel free to contact Ms. Jesperson and Dr. Tolbert directly. Don't forget to subscribe or listen to our podcasts on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor, or visit our website, Forum Workplace Inclusion, forward slash podcast. Thank you so much. Have a great day and please stay, and stay safe. Thank you again for listening to the Forum and Workplace Inclusion podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get updates and the latest episodes. Also, tell us what you think by reviewing our podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. For more information, visit us at forumworkplaceinclusion.org or search Workplace Forum on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you very much and have a great day. The Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast is recorded at Augsburg University in Minneapolis, Minnesota. One of the most diverse private colleges in the Midwest, Augsburg University offers more than 50 undergraduate majors and nine graduate degrees to 3,400 students of diverse backgrounds at its campus in the vibrant center of the Twin Cities and nearby Rochester, Minnesota location. Augsburg educates students to be informed citizens, thoughtful stewards, critical thinkers, and responsible leaders. And Augsburg education is defined by excellence in the liberal arts and professional studies, guided by the faith and values of the Lutheran Church, and shaped by its urban and global settings. Learn more at augsburg.edu.